If you have your Bible today, if you'll take it and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. The book of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be all the way down to verse 9. We have made it all the way uh, to verse 9. to be the seventh beatitude. Here's what it says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Thousands of years ago, that was a hard verse to really grasp. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, uh, as he went and was at the Sea of Galilee, as he was teaching these principles, blessed are the peacemakers. You say, well, pastor, it couldn't be like it is today. Well, Israel was being persecuted. Hadn't much changed. Israel was looking for someone to liberate them. They were looking for the Messiah to come. They thought that Jesus would be the one. And then he comes in talking about peacemaking, turning the other cheek, giving them your coat and your shirt too. Give them your shirt if they want your coat. Somebody wants you to do one mile, go two with them. He came and he turned the thinking of humanity upside down. Because the thinking of upside down of humanity is countercultural to kingdom thinking. It's counterintuitive. The two do not run on the same set of rails. They are polar opposite. Jesus says, if you want to be first, you need to be last. If you want to be last, you need to be first. He comes and he shares this and he's looking at them and he has them. Talking about being hungry, being poor, being merciful, being pure in heart. And now he wants them to be peacemakers. Dynamic. Because we know in the scripture that it's so hard to be peacemakers. We know that in our time, in our culture that we live in, there is so much divisiveness. Matter of fact, I was just reviewing some of the top news articles of the week, and they just make your head spin. From last week, I think it was, you know, a guy was born, and he was suing his parents because he didn't ask to be born, and so he wanted them to support him the rest of his life. This week, yesterday, was the most recent shocking thing. A group of grade school kids uh, go into a senator's office and, uh, you know, starts demanding that she enacts climate change, something for climate change, and, you know, do away with airplanes, do away with cars. Matter of fact, it's, it's kind of driving the progressive even crazy as they're trying to grasp it. And there's someone who is a, a stalwart for, for, for the green movement saying, but, but this plan is too far-reaching. It's too unrealistic. And, and, and they're basically saying, if you don't believe what I believe, then we can't even have a conversation. We live in a world that is so racially divisive, looking for opportunity to cause us to be against one another looking for space to cause friction. Family of grace exists at this time in history 
to reach across ethnic barriers, social barriers, cultural barriers, generational barriers, economic barriers, to go to that demographic, every demographic with a functional gospel to minister to a dysfunctional world. At the end of service, Pastor Ralph will tell you a little bit about a, 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 um, a round table that we're going to be having in a few weeks ministering to dysfunctional families. How do we guide our children in a dysfunctional world? Families in our church are struggling. It's so hard to navigate the waters of this world because they are so polar opposite to even what you may have been trained to think. It goes back to the summit of last year where there was a lesson that we talked about inoculation versus isolation. I remember when I was a kid, isolation was a strategy. But today it is so rampant that there's no way we can isolate our kids from the brokenness and the dysfunction in this world because it is so mainstream. So how are we going to lead our children? How are we going to lead our families? How are we going to lead our cities when the popular philosophy of the world boasted, it's blasted all over the airwaves and media and it's by the leading teachers and psychologists and counselors. I went to a graduation of my niece yesterday, and the keynote speaker was a, before she made her address, she said, well, I didn't really know what to say, so I went and Googled the top 20 commencement speeches. And then she began to articulate the people that she listened to, and I thought I leaned over to my wife, and I said, boy, we in for a treat today. With all the popular teaching and counselors and psychologists and philosophers saying, put yourself first, we must understand that when self is first, peace is last. If you don't get anything else I say today, matter of fact, if you need to go, you can get up and go now. Because <laughs> if you put self first, you will not have peace. Peace will be last. Why? Because self precipitates strife. It precipitates division. It grows hatred, resentment, and war. <coughs> about in the last days there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilence and famines. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. But you know what most people don't know about? In that description of the last days in Matthew 24, it says it will be impossible for people to not be offended, to take offense. We live in a culture where everybody is offended. Matter of fact, the news this week was, or the last, seems like the last three weeks, has been over this guy named Jussie who was, found himself in this dynamic and said he had this hate crime. I told my wife we was having coffee the other morning. She was getting ready. I said, come see. I think this is the first time I've ever heard this in news, in the news media. Someone was arrested for hate crime against himself. And we think about that, and there's been so much bloviating over that that I'm really sick of it. But the point that I want to make today is that it calls people like Eddie Johnson, the police superintendent of Chicago, to just say, I do not understand. 
I do not understand how someone could say these things. How many of you in the last week have said, I do not understand? You've heard something, you've read something, and you just cannot get your mind around it. And you're just saying, I do not understand. I listened to this guy's speech, and then I went back and read the transcript of it, and I was utterly amazed at the way that he articulated in such a definitive way about where we are as a nation. And I want you to know that where we are as a nation, we need men and women to rise up and say, I am willing to live out the seventh beatitude and to be a peacemaker. Because God's people are called to be peacemakers. He has called us on a special mission to help to restore peace to a fallen world. But if if yourself is first, then peace will always be last. God's peace has nothing to do with politics. God's peace has nothing to do with armies. God's peace has nothing to do with nations. God's peace has nothing to do with... uh, Social media. I was talking to a college student last week, and we was talking about the issue of capitalism versus socialism. And I said, well, do you really understand what socialism really is? And she said, yeah, you know, it has to do with, like, you know, it's connected to social media because everybody's talking about it, and it's conversations about it. Look, it has nothing to do where we are in this world Whether you're living under tyranny, whether you're living under freedom, whether you're under a dictator, whether you're living under capitalism, communism, socialism, I want you to know none of this is new stuff. And ever since the days of Jesus, sitting there, teaching and leading in a way, he's saying unto them, I want you to be peacemakers. What is the meaning of it? Well, the essential fact of the meaning to comprehend about peacemaking is it's the deepest term of peacemaking means God's highest good to you. In Judges 6 and 24, it talks about Yahweh and Shalom. God's highest good for us is to have peace. I want you to know that conflict did not just start. I want you to know that killings didn't just start since we have guns. Matter of fact, all the way back in the Garden of Eden with the first family. One brother killed the other with a rock. If man is meant and meant to do wrong, he will find an apparatus to fulfill his cause and his agenda. But God has cried out for us to be peacemakers, to go to a world that is constant turmoil and conflict and to be peacemakers. God has positioned family of grace to be a church that is speaking love, that is speaking peace. You don't have to agree with me on everything. Matter of fact, I hope you don't. I am not looking for a bunch of mini-me's. I'm looking for somebody that has the wherewithal and the ability to think. The ability to think. As my mentor always says, the one thing dangerous about raising your children to think is they think. But we, are, we have lost the ability to think. It amazes me how if something's more than one minute, we do not have the capacity to stick with it and comprehend it. When we think about this and what God is saying, what does it really mean? Well, it's going to take me more than one minute to tell you what peace really means. Matter of fact, when we go back into the Hebrew, that word shalom, it's broke down into four categories. Matter of fact, shalom, first of all, has to do with the wholeness of life, health, and the body. 
that we may have complete peace in our whole being, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, in every capacity. You hear me talking about that all the time, ministering to the whole person. Jesus said, I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I want you to love me emotionally. I want you to love me spiritually. I want you to love me physically. And I want you to love me psychologically. With your whole person. How can we love with our whole person if our whole person is in constant conflict? Shalom meant to have peace within one's body. The second thing it means is it means to have a right relationship and good harmony between two parties or people or different groups, to have a covenant and it be related to Yahweh as the covenant. The third thing that it means is a propensity of success, fulfillment, accomplishments, having all of those things. And then the fourth thing meant to have victory over one's enemy as in the absence of war. I grew up in a time between the two wars, the Vietnam War and the Gulf War. I was a child. I wasn't even born when the Vietnam War ended, but it was so fresh that when I was a kid, families were still affected by it, still talking about it, still dealing with the empty seats around the tables. And I remember as a kid, I was scared to death about war. It was the last war where we actually drafted people to go into fight hand-to-hand combat. And then when I was a senior in high school, the Gulf War started. And so I, I think about those things. But I want you to understand, though those 18 years of my life were marked of a time where America was not on foreign soil and shooting bullets and dropping bombs and hand-to-hand combat, we did not have peace Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of war. Just because there's no war, it doesn't mean we have peace. Today, our families are being besieged on every turn. Homes are being torn asunder. Marriages are falling apart. Dysfunction is breeding dysfunction, and it is being multiplied on out. What must we do? We as the church of a living God must understand that we will never have peace with others till we have peace with ourselves. And you can never have peace with yourself until you receive peace from Jesus Christ. You will not just be a peaceful first person by accident. You have to work hard to be a peacemaker. It doesn't come second nature. It isn't your first instinct. Matter of fact, your first instinct is the direct opposite. God's peace not only stops hostilities and settles the issues and brings about parties together in mutual love and harmony because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see, because of the wrath of God was settled on his son Jesus, it paid a debt, but it didn't necessarily bring peace. See, there's a lot of people that have settled scores, but they're still not at peace with one another. They may not be firing bullets, but they still hate one another. I remember there was a time in my life where I was completely overwhelmed. And God had just so, I had dealt with it. I had forgiven people. I had moved on with it. And then one day, God convicted me. He said, why don't you pray for this person right here? Boy, this person right here had done me a lot of ill. This person had done me a lot of wrong. And all of a sudden, I said, Lord, I'm not going to pray for him, for you to bless him. He said, then you hadn't forgiven him. Until you can pray for me to bless him, you've not forgiven him. 
Now, that was hard for me, and I had to deal with that. And God began to work me over with that, and it took me quite a while. Matter of fact, he had me write eight letters. You've heard me talk about this. To eight people that I could not pray the blessing of God on. He had me go to accountability partner and said, please make sure I follow through on this commitment because in my flesh, though I know the right thing, my heart doesn't want to do it. Because my heart wants to settle the score. My heart wants to get even. My, as my heart thinketh, so am I. Therefore, will you hold me accountable to do what's right with God and not right in my own sight? Are you hearing me today, church? Today, as we think about that, there are several passages of scriptures that propels this forward. James 3 and 17 says, But the wisdom and the peace from above is pure, and it's peace-loving. It is gentle. It is full of mercy and good fruits. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, Pursue peace. Pursue it with everyone and holiness. Not just the people that you like. Not just the people that you want something from. But pursue peace. Isaiah 48 and 22 says, There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. James 3 and 16 says, For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is pure and holy. Sinful men cannot create peace. I started researching the Nobel Peace Prize in preparation for this sermon. The first person I could really think of that didn't deserve the Nobel Peace Prize was Yasser, Yasser Arafat, a guy who was trying to annihilate the Jewish people, won the Nobel Peace Prize. And so then I started researching people that didn't deserve it. Well, that's an interesting study. You ought to take it up. Because there's people on the left that are liberal they didn't deserve it. And there's people on the right that are conservative. Matter of fact, uh, one of the ones I read on the right was Henry Kissinger. Said he did not deserve the Nobel Peace Prize. I said, well, that, that's crazy. And then they laid out the case and said, here's all the things that Henry Kissinger helped do to, in the midst of war and conflict. And it says, now, now if, we, if we are talking about someone who's ushering in peace, then who really deserves it? But when we think about it, we're looking to the world to give something that the world doesn't have. We want the world to bring peace. Everybody wants peace, world peace. I'm telling you, I'd like for there just to be peace in some churches. But you'll never have peace in the world, and you'll never have peace in the church. You'll never have peace at town hall. You'll never have peace at the White House, or you'll never have peace in the Senate or the House of Representatives or at the local police jury until God gives that peace, until peace comes from the ambassador of peace, which is me and you. Me and you, yeah. That's what it looks like. If that's the meaning of peace, being whole, and we realize that peace is not just the absence of conflict. What does it really mean? Well, stay with me for just a moment. In Colossians 1 and 19, I mentioned this last week, but I really, really want to read it for you, and I want you to see it. For it says in verse 19, it says, For God was pleased, it made God happy, to have the fullness dwell upon Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile everything back to him. By making peace, by making peace through a, a peace treaty of Calvary. It wasn't brokered by two parties. 
It wasn't broken, brokered by two kings or, or two dictators or, or two presidents or a president or prime minister. It was brokered between God. God said it pleased to have the fullness dwell upon his son Jesus. Look at it right here. For God was pleased to have the fullness dwell in him, capital H. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. And through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, whether uh, things on earth or things in heaven. Now, so that you understand who he's talking about, he says, and once were you alienated, hostile in your minds, evil in your actions. But now God has, I love that phrase, God has reconciled you back to him with his physical body to present you holy and faultless and blameless. What I want you to understand is that the cross is the only thing that can bring peace. I'm not going to relitigate last week's sermon. But you remember we talked about in 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 where it made him who knew no sin to become sin that the righteousness of God might dwell upon him. We talked about how Job said, I wish there was somebody that could grab a hold of God, somebody that could grab a hold of me and mediate the case. Have you ever tried to mediate something? Boy, it's interesting. I remember one time I was going to sit down and try to mediate something between two families, and it was tough. And I said, well, the first thing we need to do is get the Holy Spirit on the scene. So I'm sitting there talking to him. I said, well, can we stop and pray? One of them looked at me and said, i tell you what you can do, preacher. You can pray for me while you're going down the road. You need to get up and get on out of here. Yes, ma'am. I understand. Sometimes you can't mediate it. Sometimes people don't want it. And when you think about this, who has the ability to mediate? Well, only those who understand it. Don't you hate when somebody who's never been through something tries to lecture you on something? Huh? Somebody without kids says, well, if I was a parent, here's what I would do. I don't want to listen to you. If you've never had a kid, you've never trained a kid, you've never shaped a kid, you have nothing to tell me. I remember that's when I was walking through hell by a square inch, and a guy looked at me and said, here's what I would do if I was you. And I said, no disrespect, but my vantage point looks a little different when you're looking down the wrong end of the shotgun barrel and somebody else has their finger on trigger. Don't tell me what you would do if you haven't lived through it. See, we want to we intellectualize peace. We want to humanize peace. Humanity cannot bring about peace that is not rooted and grounded in the peace treaty of Calvary. Peace treaties come and go. They sign them and they come and they go and they, time passes away and everything changes. But I am telling you, over 2,000 years ago, we were hostile. We were enemies. We were alienated from God. But he signed the peace treaty of Calvary. He reconciled us as a, a wounded, doomed, damned sinner back to a holy God by the finished work of Calvary through the body of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to read this for you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we talked about this last week. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, who is it? 
Any man who's a new creation. If you profess to be born again, if you profess to be filled with the Spirit, then he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Who is he given the ministry of reconciliation to? The one who has already been reconciled. You can't tell me about the grace of God if you've never experienced it. And so therefore, those who've experienced mercy, not getting what we deserve, grace, getting what we deserve, can now begin to tell others about what it was like to be alienated, to be an enemy, to be at odds, to be at war with God, that we might be made right back with God. Therefore, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Would you look that up? If you don't have your Bible, get your smartphone out and look this scripture up. Write it down. Because it says, Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Let me just press in for a moment. It didn't say he gave it to the Romans. It didn't say he gave it to the Greeks. It didn't give it to Aristotle. didn't give it to any of the philosophers, the Greek philosophers. He didn't give it to any nation. He didn't give it to any denomination. I don't care which one claims they were first in the church lineage of history. I don't care about that. Whoop-de-doo. It's kind of like the curl on a pigtail. You know what that means? You know what it does? Nothing. Nothing. He didn't give it to a denomination. He didn't give it to the Catholics. He didn't give it to the Church of Christ. He didn't give it to the Baptists. He gave it to the bride of Christ. Us, me, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry. What does it mean, the ministry, more than you could ever think or imagine? It means he gave me the authority to reconcile, to reconcile back to a holy God, men and women who would make things right with God that we might be the peacemakers. Well, that's hard to be a peacemaker when we live in a sin-driven world. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, look, I like what it says in verse 19. That is... In case you were wondering what the ministry of reconciliation is, the ministry of reconciliation is that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. God in Christ, God in the finished work of Calvary, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. At the peace treaty of Calvary, he took away the handwriting as a requirement that were contrary against us, nailed it to the cross, took it out of the way, and wrote, paid in full. Paid in full. He took it away, not counting the trespasses against them, as he has committed. Now look at this. Underline it, circle it, highlight it, tweet it, Facebook it, get it out there. He's given us, me, Not just the ministry of reconciliation, but the message, the word of reconciliation. What is the word of reconciliation? Well, since he's given me the ministry of reconciliation, he's given me the word of reconciliation. This is the message of peacemakers, is that therefore I am now an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I am not an ambassador of Brad Webb. I have to keep reminding myself of that because I have the propensity to get in God's way. That's why Paul said, I got to die every day. Every day I got to die to myself. Therefore, now I am an ambassador of Christ, certain that God is appealing through us, imploring through us, through us on Christ's behalf. 